Listener Production. Hi guys, it's me, your host, Rosie Waterland, and I'm here to say, <laughs> remember how we say we're weekly-ish? <laughs> Whoopsies. There's no fresh episode this week because things are, are pretty crazy with the tour, but the good news is we've got a big uh, few weeks off from the tour coming up, so we're going to be getting some new in-studio apps to you very soon. But for today, we thought we'd encourage you to have a listen back to this one, which was one of our earliest steps, one of my favourites actually, about a scammer called Bernie Madoff. They really do kind of call him the king of scams, the king of Ponzi schemes. They even say that Melissa Caddick is like Australia's Bernie Madoff. Oh my God, did you guys watch the underbelly with the foot? That They showed it! They showed the foot! Oh my God, it wasn't a good, um, it wasn't really a good underbelly. <laughs> but it was worth it just to see that in the very, very end. I can't believe it. Um, Anyway, so, yeah, this is, I guess, uh, America's Melissa Caddick, our Just the Gist episode of Bernie Madoff. If you can believe it. If you can believe it. (laughs) Hello and welcome to another episode of Just The Gist, a weekly-ish podcast where Rosie Waterland gives us just the gist of what we need to know about a topic that has piqued her interest. What is your name? My name is Jacob Stanley. You've got to learn to put that in there. And it's my pleasure to be here. (laughs) (laughs) And today, I and we are going to be learning all about... (gasps) Bernie Madoff. That's (laughs) not the guy who's running for president. No, that's Bernie Sanders. Uh Uh-huh. And he's not the guy who made Kentucky Fried Chicken. That's Colonel Sanders. Okay. And he's not in the army, as far as I know. Bernie Madoff. I think he has something to do with finances. Yes. Bernie Madoff pulled off um, what is considered the biggest Ponzi scheme in history. Ooh. I know. Um, and I'm fascinated by it because he did it when you break it down in such a, like, scrappy, crappy, unsophisticated way. Mm. But he still managed, I think, just because of people's greed and ignorance about this stuff, he still managed to Ponzi, like, almost $100 billion. (laughs) It's crazy. It's crazy how he did it. And, Mm. I mean, it's, like, kind of complicated because we have to go into, like, the mechanics of Ponzi schemes and stuff, which Mm -hmm. feels overwhelming. Mm. But I'm going to give you just the gist. So you're safe. Mm -hmm. You're safe with me. Mm -hmm. So kind of like how when I became a medical expert to do uh, Spanish flu, Mm -hmm. I'm now a finance expert. To do. You wear many hats. Bernie Madoff. I wear many, many hats and Mm -hmm. I look fabulous in all of them. (laughs) Um, Also, can I just say I'm loving that at the moment we're obsessed with Moira Rose from Schitt's Creek and those are the quotes we keep doing. Like, "Um, I believe I bought vodka as a house gift. (laughs) I I don't don't see see it. it. (laughs) (laughs) If you don't watch Schitt's Creek, you really must because we're obsessed. And we've just been quoting it and quoting it and quoting it for weeks. Yeah, nonstop. We are just counting down the days until season six drops. There was the funniest moment at one of my shows in Adelaide where um, Jacob was in the audience and I was telling some funny story about Jacob. And I said, oh, Jacob's in the audience, by the way. And he yelled out, 
if you can believe it, which is a line from Schitt's Creek. And I don't think many people know. And that was kind of just like a ha ha from me. And then like the rest of the room went quiet. That's what it was. I think a lot of people in the room thought, oh, get over yourself. Quoting Moira Rose. That's fine. I was just satisfied. I delivered it so flawlessly. And actually, that is really fitting in um, what we're doing this week because the whole premise of Shit's Creek is that they get screwed over by a Bernie Madoff character, this rich family. That's why they lose all their money. Oh, well done closing the loop on that one. I, I just nice. realised I could. Thanks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the biggest Ponzi scheme in history. Mm-hmm. It's a fraud worth. Conservative estimates are that he uh, stole about $68.4 billion, but it could be anywhere upwards of $100 because they're not sure how long he was doing it for and um, that's sort of under, um, you know, suspicion. Mm-hmm. But would you like to know a little bit about Bernie Madoff, the man? Yes. Okay, let's start from the start because this is quite a complicated story and I feel like it's easy to just tell it in order. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Born in 1938 in Queens, New York, mm-hmm. which is kind of where X-Tray, X-Tray, read all about it. Do, 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 do. I got the scoop. See? That's quite a Queens accent, isn't it? I thought you were trying to do Southern. No! <laughs> it's like a boy in a news cap. Kind of Southern, but also on the streets of the city. See? <laughs> It's a great hybrid. Thanks. Yes. <laughs> it's just how people in America in the 1920s talked. Uh-huh. Look it up. Uh-huh. Look it up. Okay. <laughs> so he was born in 1938 in Queens. Um, pretty humble, lower middle class to middle class upbringing. His dad was like a plumber, um, an eventual stockbroker, but not a very successful one. He owned a sporting goods store that went out of business. Um Bernie married his high school sweetheart, Ruth, in 1959 when he was 21. They'd been dating pretty much from when they were both about 14. Mm-hmm. They both went to uni and in 1960 he started his financial investment company called Bernard L. Madoff Investment Securities. He started with $5,000 that he had saved working as a lifeguard at the local pool mm-hmm. and also an extra $50,000 from his father-in-law. And his father-in-law also referred a bunch of friends and family to him as clients and then he was off and running. And I feel like this is a good point to stop and say to each other what we understand about what investment banking is <laughs> because this is where I think a lot of assumed knowledge kicks in and yeah. this is the stuff that I didn't know and most people don't know because we're not gazillionaires. Mm-hmm. So how would you describe like the stock market and investments and stuff? You buy shares. So there's a certain number of mm-hmm. shares that are made for a company so that a certain number of people can own parts of the company (laughs) and how much the company is worth is divided up amongst the shares and Mm -hmm. so that can fluctuate upwards and downwards. Yes. And you can sell your shares to make a profit or you can hang on to them for a while and at intermittent points you get dividend payouts Mm -hmm. of some of the profits that the company has been making. This is very complicated. I know. I don't even really (laughs) understand the words I'm saying. (laughs) What is a dividend profit? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Something that I probably made up is what it is. If it's more complicated than my Dolomites account, I don't understand it. Oh, yeah. 
represent for all of yeah. those who still have a Commonwealth <laughs> Bank account because we were forced into signing up for one when we were, what, five? Five years old, yeah. yeah. Um, and we've just hung on to it because it's the easier. I, I probably mm. still have my yellow bank book somewhere. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah. everyone does. Well, that's basically kind of right. So mm. let's. this is what rich people do. And this is how when people say, I need to turn money into more money, mm-hmm. this is what they mean. So when you're rich... You take your money and you invest it in a company. So say Apple, the company, Mm -hmm. is worth a million dollars and you buy one share of Apple that is worth like $100,000, so Mm -hmm. one-tenth of Apple. Mm -hmm. Every time Apple goes up in profits, your money goes up in profits. Mm -hmm. And every time it drops in profits, you lose money, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, it's kind of a risk. You invest in a company and you invest in certain stocks, and if those stocks do well on the stock market, then you get extra money, but if mm-hmm. those stocks crash, then you lose all your money, mm-hmm. which is why most people tend to go to an investment banker or an investment company to handle the stocks and the trading for them. Mm-hmm. Most people don't do it themselves. Like mm-hmm. if you have a million dollars that you want to invest, you go to a professional person like Bernie Madoff and you say, I have a million dollars. Will you please go and buy stocks that you think are going to do well and make me some money? Mm-hmm. So that's what his company did. Mm-hmm. People gave him money and he's like, I'm smart. I'll invest it and make you money. Mm-hmm. And he was very, very good at investing. Like, and one of the... um major things that he did was his brother, he worked with his brother at the company and his brother was kind of a computer genius. And so they were both on top of computer trends. So they developed like a computer technology and a computer program that could predict market trends. So they basically started computerizing the stock market before Mm -hmm. other people did. It was still just all done on paper and people would buy the newspaper and look at stocks and they developed a computer way of doing it. So they were like good at what they did. Mm -hmm. That technology eventually became the NASDAQ, which is like a major stock exchange. That's a word I've heard. Yes. So there's different um, stock markets. So it's like you go to a market and you buy stocks, Mm -hmm. right? And there's different markets. So there's the New York Stock Exchange, you can go there and buy stocks. Mm -hmm. Or there's the NASDAQ, you can go there and buy stocks. Mm -hmm. There's different markets. So he basically invented an entire stock market. Like Mm -hmm. it's, he was pretty legit. And so people considered him like an expert in trading and investments and money and all that kind of stuff that none of us understand. Mm -hmm. So by the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s, he was like a legend of Wall Street and everybody wanted to invest their money with Bernie because he could give his clients like astronomical returns that nobody else was getting. Like you could give one firm a million dollars and hope to eventually get $3 million back. But if you gave Bernie a million dollars, he would get you $10 million back. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he was very selective with who he would work with. And so that made that exclusivity made people really desperate to work with him. Like mm-hmm. he would only take on particular clients. Mm-hmm. They found out later when he got busted that he actually wasn't that exclusive. He just created an air of exclusivity to make people desperate to Mm -hmm. come to him. But people didn't realise that he was just, he'd take anyone's money. Mm -hmm. Um, He was worth hundreds of millions of dollars personally. Um, He and his wife lived in, you know, a massive mansion on the Upper East Side. They had like private jet. They had houses all over the world. 
Their two sons, Mark and Andrew, worked for the company also, and they were both also multimillionaires. The company itself was worth almost a billion dollars, but it was all a Ponzi scheme. Mm-hmm. So Bernie says the Ponzi scheme started in 1991, mm-hmm. but people who worked for him for a long time say that they remember it happening as far back as the 70s. So considering he started the company in 1960, that would indicate he was pretty much being dodgy. From the get-go. Almost from the get-go. Yeah. Whenever it started, basically, as is the nature of a Ponzi scheme, which Mm -hmm. I'll explain, he was taking people's money, but he wasn't investing it. Mm -hmm. So when they say, people say the best way to describe a Ponzi scheme is robbing Peter to pay Paul. You know Mm -hmm. how you always hear that saying? Mm -hmm. That is essentially what he would do. So people would give him their money to invest and he was meant to take that money and go and invest it on the stock market. Mm -hmm. Sometimes he would win, sometimes he would lose. Like that's the nature of the stock market. Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, Bernie would always win and people would get lots of money back. And that's because when people gave him their money to invest, instead of going and putting it on the stock market, he just put it into one bank account Mm -hmm. and just kept it there and spent it and like used it as his personal bank account Mm -hmm. And um, he would also use it so when um, people would want to, like, they'd say, oh, I need to cash out some of that money you've made for me, Mm. he would just dip into that account to give them money. So Also, he was telling them that they got these amazing windfalls, but they didn't actually get the money in their account. No, no, no. So this is what I'm going to, this is how he got away with it. This is what I'm going to explain. So he basically was just putting everyone's money into one account and just using that account to pay for everything. Mm -hmm. And so that's why he needed people to keep investing with him Mm. because the account would dwindle and dwindle and dwindle, Mm. so then he'd need to top it up with more people's investments. Mm -hmm. So this is how he got away with it for so long. When you invest for people, the longer they keep their money with you, the more money you can make for them, obviously. Mm -hmm. So Bernie was able to take huge amounts of money from people and he would give them account statements saying, Mm -hmm. look how much money I've made for you. Mm -hmm. So they'd get these quarterly statements that just showed their money growing and growing and growing. Mm -hmm. And the longer you keep your money in there, the more it grows. Mm -hmm. And so they would get these quarterly statements saying like, you know, they'd put in 3 million and now they had 10 million. But if they keep it in there, it could grow to 30 million. So Mm -hmm. keep it in there. Mm -hmm. And so people were happy just getting these statements. So all they knew is that on paper, they were getting richer and richer and richer, Uh right? And so they were thinking, oh, you know, I'll, like, cash that money out when I retire or for my kids' inheritance Mm -hmm. or when I need to buy my daughter a house. Like, but it also wasn't just personal people. It's like companies would invest with him as well. So say, for example, you have superannuation Mm -hmm. and you know that the people who own your super are investing it to make it grow. Mm -hmm. So companies like that would invest with him and he just, and that money is going to sit in there for 30 years until Mm -hmm. you're ready to retire and you need your super. Mm -hmm. So he'd just send statements to them going, yep, your client's super is growing and growing Mm -hmm. and they'd be like, awesome, thanks. And so, I mean, this is how money works at this major level. You have enough money to live off all the time that you can just watch your money grow. Mm -hmm. And like the words you used before, what did you say? Dividend. Dividends. Payouts or whatever. Yep. So if you invested, say, a million dollars with him, 
he sent you a statement every quarter and after five years that million dollars had grown to $10 million, every quarter you get like $200,000 of that investment. So he would just pay that out of that big account. Mm -hmm. So he would pay people little amounts to keep them thinking, oh, I've got so much money in there. Mm -hmm. And every six months I get $100,000 of my Bernie money. Mm -hmm. But he was not investing that. He was just getting more people to invest, taking their money and giving it to you. Right. Like, so this is the nature of Ponzi schemes. They've got to crash eventually Mm -hmm. because eventually there's going to be people not enough people investing, so you're going to not be able to give people their money when they ask for it or, you know, something's going to happen. And, I mean, sometimes people would want to cash out. Like, so I love this is what rich people say. Oh, I need need to be a bit more liquid this month. Is that what they say? (laughs) Liquid cash. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, people would say to him, like, oh, um, the statements that you've been giving me say you've made me $10 million. I need to cash out $5 million of that mm-hmm. um, because, I don't know, FYI, bills, mm-hmm. jet repairs, whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, he would just dip into that one account, give them $5 million, mm-hmm. knowing, well, more people are going to invest so the account will top up again. Mm-hmm. So it was very much a house of cards. Mm-hmm. So are we clear on how the Ponzi scheme Yes. At its basic level works. Did you look into where the word Ponzi comes from? Oh, yeah. It's this um, guy, this Italian guy in New York who sort of did the initial Ponzi scheme and his last name was Ponzi. Right. So they called it a Ponzi scheme. So Ponzi's a person's name. Yeah, it's a guy's oh. last name. Ponzi. Yeah, Ponzi. Ponzi. The problem, though, with all Ponzi schemes is that it just can't last. Like, eventually, you're not going to be able to cover everyone needing the money that they need when they want it, whatever. And because he was lying about how much money he had made for people, there were some accounts that if they asked for all their money, he wouldn't have it. So for some of those major clients, the account statements that he'd been sending them for 20, 30 years indicated that he'd made them like $150 million. Mm. And he just, if they came to him and said, we want to cash out all our money, he wouldn't have it. His account just did not have that much money. Mm -hmm. So his whole scheme relied on people not wanting to take out too much money mm-hmm. at once. And I don't think he ever really conceived of a situation in which he would have to pay out everyone's money at once. Like he mm-hmm. always sort of thought there'll always be enough coming in that no matter how much people come to me and say, oh, I need a bit money, a bit more this month or I need this, he'd always be able to cover it. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, the 2008 financial crash happened. Mm-hmm. And that was when everybody panicked. Didn't really affect me in a major way because I was a poor student, but I do remember being on holidays with my rich auntie and uncle in Perth and they were on lots of stressed phone calls Mm. to investment people about money disappearing. Mm -hmm. And so in the 2008 financial crisis, a lot of major clients came to him and said, we need all of our money now. We're Mm -hmm. effed. The statements you've been sending us say that you have $200 million for us, you have $50 million for me you have $55 billion for this person, we want it. And he was like, I don't got it. It's like that scene in Mary Poppins. When they run on the bank. Yeah. It is like a run on the bank, Mm -hmm. but it was a, which is, I'll explain. My best friend Jamila Rizvi explained a run on the bank to me once. (laughs) It's when everybody goes to the bank at once to get their money out, but the bank doesn't have enough physical cash money to give everyone. And then Mm -hmm. everyone panics and then everything falls apart. Yeah. So that's essentially what happened to him was all these people came to him and wanted their money because they were all 
like desperate to be liquid, mm-hmm. like the rich people say, and he didn't have it. And um, he knew like he was effed. So his he had his staff Christmas party and um, after the Christmas party he asked his and it was almost like he says his last hurrah, like he just mm-hmm. wanted to have one nice final night with his company and his family. And after the Christmas party, he asked his sons to come over to his house with his wife and he confessed to them that the whole thing was, um, they quoted him later, one big lie and that the whole thing was a Ponzi scheme. They insist that they had no idea. There are people who say that they probably did, but mm. I personally think they didn't because the second he told them, um, he said to them, please give me 24 hours to pay out Christmas bonuses to people in the company because mm. the second you, like, the second we go to the authorities, they're going to freeze all the accounts. Um, and he wanted to just give money, like, hide money away from mm-hmm. what was left. Um, but his sons left the apartment that night, went straight to their lawyers, and they went straight to the FBI at, mm-hmm. like, 11 o'clock that night and mm-hmm. told the FBI. Um, and so... Bernie Madoff was arrested by the FBI the next morning and it was on the news, obviously, mm-hmm. that this major investment guy in New York had been arrested for the whole thing being a scam and so people freaked out and they were like, hey, what's up, can we have our money? Mm-hmm. And, of course, there wasn't enough to give them but also the FBI froze any little money there was mm-hmm. because to investigate. But there were people literally like physically turning up at his office building, trying to get in, demanding to know where their money was. One of the most famous um, uh, people who lost a lot of money was um, Kevin Bacon. Oh, really? And his wife, Kira Sedgwick, had a lot invested with him. They lost a lot. Um, And so, you know, it was, um, like I said, like big, rich, crazy rich people, some Mm. of whom lost everything. Like there was one um, very rich investment banker from Europe who the second he found out everything was gone, um, suicided, like because he just couldn't, you know. Mm. There's very rich people who were responsible for a lot of other people's money who had invested with him and then lost it all. There was also just regular people who had no idea that their money was tied up with Bernie. So like I said, you're super, like, you do you know where your super company is investing your money right now? I think you know the answer to yeah, that already. Right? <laughs> like, <laughs> and so there were people who, you know, just had super and had like people who do minor investments, you mm. know, like just middle class people who would go to an investment person or a superannuation company, had no idea that those people had then invested their money with Bernie. Mm. And so they get told, oh, by the way, you have nothing left. Mm. And you didn't even know who Bernie Madoff was. And so it wasn't just huge, rich people, you know, losing one jet from their fleet. It was Mm. regular, everyday people who lost everything. Mm. Um, People ended up homeless. There was um, quite a few suicides. Like, the effect was huge. And so here is where I want to get into the, like, nitty-gritty of how it actually worked Mm -hmm. because it was so unsophisticated, it's just bizarre that Mm. he got away with it for so long. So after he was arrested, he sat down with the FBI and explained to them how he'd managed to do it for so long. And the investigator said it was kind of bizarre. Like, he seemed relieved to finally be able to talk about it. Like, he seemed like just really, um, there was a sense of he was finally getting something off his chest that Mm. he hadn't been able to talk about. Because, I mean, if what he says is true, that he hadn't told anyone else 
in the company except for the few close people that um, he did the fraud with, like he carried that burden for a really long time. Yeah. And imagine like every day of your life knowing that everything is a fraud and it could all come crashing down at every moment, Mm. any moment. Like the pressure of that would be... Cray cray. Unless he's the type of personality that gets off on that gambling. Well, some people have said he might be a psychopath, like a lot like Elizabeth Holmes. Like Uh, it comes down to like, did he just get caught up in something and then the pressure got to him and or was he a psychopath who loved it? Right. Yeah. Uh Um, So the company he explained had two parts. There was the regular investing part that was legitimate. They did do some regular investments. And that was on the 19th floor of this office building and that's where his sons worked. So they worked in that part of it. Um, And they did just, they were a regular investment firm of regular success like any other investment firm. Mm -hmm. But then there was the dodgy part of the business and that was on a secret floor, the 17th floor that didn't even have a button in the elevator. Like only secret people who knew where it was Mm -hmm. could get to this secret floor. And he had... um, some people in there working with him that he'd sort of found over the years, like one guy, Frank, had started off as his driver back in the 70s and Bernie realised he could trust him and also he was a bit dodged, so he uh-huh. pulled him in. There was this mm-hmm. other woman who he knew just because it was Frank's sister's cousin who lived in Queens and so he pulled her in too. Mm-hmm. Like It was like all the people on the 17th floor were a bit dodge, but trustworthy, like to the max, right? Because mm-hmm. they were making more money than they could ever have dreamed of. Right. So basically this floor of the office building was completely dedicated to making the false statements to send to people. Mm-hmm. And this is how simple it was. So they would make these false statements to send to people every quarter or every six months to make them think their investments were growing. Mm-hmm. So basically... They would look at stocks that had performed well the day before and then they would create investment statements based on those well-performing stocks. Mm -hmm. And so it had to be legit, like, in the sense that if people, if you sent a statement to someone and it said that their money, their investment had grown by 10% because you had invested in X company, if that person then went back and looked at that day to see if the company had grown, Mm -hmm. they wanted to make sure that it had. So they would go through the paper and just say yes, or like, you know, the computer or whatever, Mm -hmm. and just say yesterday Apple stock had jumped by 10%, Mm -hmm. then they would write on your statement, oh, yeah, we had invested in Apple yesterday, so your money just grew by 10%. Uh So they just kind of backdated Uh trades and pretended that they were making them. Uh So they put, this is what I found bizarre, like so much effort into falsifying these statements. It was almost as much effort as they could have just put into actually doing legitimate trades. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. But without the risk. They're just guaranteeing they're going to win. Without the risk. Yeah. Well, guaranteeing they're going to tell them that they've won. Correct. Yeah. 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 Mm. Um, So, you know, (laughs) people would, um, they put a lot of work into making the statements look very legit and people would hand their money over to his company and then he would just put it into this one big account Mm. and spend it Mm -hmm. and didn't invest anything But to make you think he was investing it, he'd give you these false statements every few months and Mm -hmm. you would look at it and go, oh, my God, I'd be an idiot to ever pull my money out of this because look how much it's Mm. growing. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, it was all lies. (laughs) And it sounds so primitive. Like 
How did someone pull off a $65 billion fraud, a Ponzi scheme, that just came down to sending people pretend statements that they printed out on the secret floor of an office? Whipped up by Frank and his sister. Frank and his cousin's (laughs) friend's sister's wife or whatever. Like, literally just so dodgy. And I think there's two reasons they got away with it for so long. The first is there was a huge lack of regulation in the industry. I mean, watch any documentary about the 2008 financial crisis. The government and the banking industry are in each other's pockets. Mm -hmm. Um, When the financial crisis happened, the government bailed them out with Mm -hmm. billions and zillions of dollars. So I think that industry really is in a sense, too big to fail because the government will never let them fail. Mm -hmm. So the lack of regulation, I think, comes down to the fact that the government doesn't really want to put a lot of effort into regulating them because that'll make them cranky and Mm -hmm. they don't want to make the billionaires cranky. Mm -hmm. Um, Bernie recalled one famous example of an agent nearly catching him once because agents would come and do the SEC, the Security Exchange Commission, is like the police for investment bankers. Mm -hmm. And so the SEC would come and do random spot checks at the company and he said there was this one time the agent had asked him for his his official, like, SEC account number. And so every time you take people's money, it goes into this holding account before it then you then invest it. Mm -hmm. And so the guy was like, can you give me your account number so I can check it? And Bernie was like, oh, my God, this is the end. So he gave him the account number And he went home thinking, I'm going to be arrested before morning because they're going to look in that account and see that there's $5 million in there and not $100 billion in Mm -hmm. there. And the next morning nothing happened and he was like, what? And it turns out the SEC guy called up and went, oh, hey, just confirming, is this Bernie's account number? And they went, yep. And he went, okay, bye. But he didn't ask how much was in it. (laughs) So if he had asked how much was in it, he would have seen that it was nearly empty. Wow. I know. And so little things like that. There was like other stories of agents coming to do random checks in the office but having no idea that there was a 17th floor. So they'd go up to the 19th floor, which Mm. was the legitimate floor, and they'd say, oh, we need to check your XYZ copy of this thing you've got. And so Bernie would be like, one moment, please. And he'd call and he'd be like, Frank, can you bring up the something, Mm -hmm. something? And so down on the 17th floor, they'd be like, battle stations. And they'd print stuff out. There was one example where they were meant to have this document that they were meant to have had for months. And of course they didn't have it. Mm. So they printed out a fresh one. They put it in the fridge to cool it down so it didn't feel like it had just been printed out. And then they, like, kicked it around the room and scuffed it up to make it look like they'd been using it and, like, legitimately. And then they, like, sort of went through and quickly put some notes on it and, like, ripped some pages. And about half an hour later, Frank walks into the office and he's like, oh, here it is, Bernie. And, like, Bernie's like, here you go, guys. Like, it took a while to track this, it down. Yeah, this is how primitive the whole thing was. Wow. Like, putting things in the fridge. Yeah. Like, it's just... Cray cray. (laughs) Also, I think another reason, despite the lack of regulation, is like people's greed. Mm. I think a lot of people knew it was, I mean, at least at the higher levels, knew Mm. it was too good to be true, Mm. but he kept returning all this money. And there are a lot of major investors with him who actually haven't gotten in trouble because no one in the banking industry ever gets in trouble, but um, who cashed out like hundreds of millions of dollars before it all went down mm-hmm. because they knew. They knew it was a Ponzi scheme. They right. knew that the money they were getting wasn't coming from legitimate investments. It was coming from Bernie scamming people. So when it got to the point where they knew, okay, he's going to get arrested, mm-hmm. they cashed out like 
their hundred million mm-hmm. and they took off. Right. And then other people were screwed. Were they allowed to keep that money? Well, since that time, um, the government's been trying to wrestle a lot of it back from the people who did that, mm-hmm. but it's been difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think it was just a lot of people like thinking, well, even though he gets 80% better returns than anybody out there, he's just really good and I'm just really lucky and it's exclusive and not many people are allowed in it. Mm-hmm. Except you don't know that everybody in the restaurant you're sitting in has money with Bernie because yeah. he literally would take $5 from a grandma. Like he would take anyone who wanted to invest, he would take money from them. Mm-hmm. So he got busted on that day in um, 2008. Mm-hmm. Um he was eventually sentenced to 150 years in prison. They think <laughs> it was because the financial crash had happened and people were looking for someone to get punished because right. nobody got punished for that crash. Mm. Um, and so even though what he did wasn't to do with the banks crashing, he mm-hmm. was someone who had stolen money from people. And, um, um, yeah, so he got sentenced to 150 years in prison Um He never saw his sons again after that night, he told Mm -hmm. them, um, because they were both ostracised from the community. Mark took his own life a year after the whole thing happened and Andrew died of cancer three years later. So both his sons died. Mm -hmm. He never saw them again. Ruth, his wife, divorced him. She was, she's basically Moira Rose. Like she was given like $200,000 and went to live in, like, her sister's apartment in some tiny town in the middle of nowhere. Hopefully with a huge collection of wigs. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's what she did. Um, and he's been in prison since then and has been quite open about, like, he he's talked to a reporter. There's a great podcast called um, Ponzi Supernova, mm-hmm. all about this reporter who just got in touch with him and Bernie opened up to him and started essentially, like, showing off about what he got away with and how mm-hmm. he did it. Apparently in prison he's treated like a king because he is, like, the ultimate thief, the ultimate really? criminal. Yeah. <laughs> He said that he quite likes prison. He gets to go to a psychologist three times a week where he's, like, learning a lot about himself and why he did the things he did Mm -hmm. because he said, you know, the business, while it was successful, was very successful and I was very comfortably wealthy and Mm. I could have lived a very comfortably wealthy life. I don't know why I started doing it. I just did. Mm. And he thinks a lot of it has to do with the fact that he grew up like this scrappy kid from Queens and he never felt quite accepted by the banking elite mm-hmm. and he did it to like shove it to them. And mm-hmm. But it's like, but you screwed over the crappy pe- the scrappy people from Queens. Yeah. Like, you, you know? Yeah, yeah. So he, he kind of, from what I've listened to, because you can listen to audio of some of these interviews of him over the phone in prison, he seems like a psychopath to mm-hmm. me. He really does. If he's trying to justify what he did oh, he and come is. up with some sort of rational like, explanation, this, that's not okay. This one quote where he's like, oh, I've heard I've heard the things people are saying, like, oh, I was on food stamps and, oh, I had to live out of my car. I mean, sure, some people probably did, but, I mean, that wasn't me. That was major companies taking their money. I mean, the thing was people were just greedy. You think people didn't know that I was dodgy? They knew. They just wanted... They just wanted more money and I didn't, you know, it's not my fault whose money they were playing with. Like they, you know, they gave me the money and I did what I did. Like he just kind of seems very much like. Wow. Yeah. I can't believe they haven't made a movie about him yet. Oh, they have. Oh, really? So there's um, 
The Wizard of Lies, and that's starring Robert De Niro and um, Michelle Pfeiffer as Ruth, and mm-hmm. she is so good mm-hmm. as Ruth. It's amazing. And then there's another one called Madoff, and that's the one with um, Richard Dreyfuss. They're uh-huh. both really good. I just love the image of this ragtag bunch of misfits, Ocean's Eleven yes. style, just sort of pulled together working on the 17th floor to yeah. slap together these fake statements. So I'm going to watch exactly what the it's like series in the movie. And the movie yeah. Just it's see. just these like really tacky, like kind of um, Jersey Shore people that he's pulled over who he would never let onto the legitimate floor because they're too embarrassing. Yeah. And, like, um, they're just down there, like, doing their thing. The Suicide secret. Squad. Yeah. <laughs> um, Frank, by the way, the main guy who mm. um, was, like, his main right-hand dodgy man, the minute Bernie got busted, he just flipped and started talking, told them everything. Right. He freaked out and he died of cancer before he got sent to prison. Uh, um, what about the rest of them? The woman, she got prison time. I'm not, I, I can't remember how much, but mm-hmm. she got in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, Bernie is still in jail. Um, he said back in 2014 that he was dying of kidney cancer, but he's still alive. <laughs> so I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the dealio is there. He says that he's really sick. He says that he doesn't have long to live because he's trying to get released on compassionate grounds. Mm-hmm. I mean, I read a couple weeks ago that he had an appeal in saying if they release him, he'll go live with his brother somewhere and he won't have any money and it's not going to be a luxurious life and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But people are still convinced that there's money hidden and that Ruth is secretly being taken care of. His brother, who was his partner in the business, spent like I think about eight years in jail or something and has since been released, but, you know, Mm -hmm. he invented the NASDAQ, his brother, like so he would know how to hide money places. Yeah. So, so far um, the FBI and the SEC have managed to claw back I think something like 60% of the funds to mm-hmm. give to people, mm-hmm. but um, it tends to be a lot of the richest people got it first. But there were things you don't even think of, like there were charities that invested with him mm. that lost everything because any corporation, charity, major business, everything that has a decent amount of money invests it. That's mm. what they say. When mm. you have a large amount of cash, invest it. Mm-hmm. So there were charities, there were universities, there were like superannuation funds, mm. there was just so many people lost everything. Mm. And he doesn't feel any remorse by the sound of it. No. Not even, like, his sons are both dead. Mm. He lost his wife, apparently. Like, she hasn't called or visited or talked to him since, like, I think, apparently it was when um, their son uh, killed himself, she stopped talking to him. So that was, like, a year after it all happened. Mm Mm-hmm. But apparently he quite like he quite likes prison. Uh-huh. Well, he'd be in one of those minimum security. He is he's resorts. in a he's in a very fancy prison and like I said, he's like big man on campus. They yeah. all think he's a total legend. Like mm-hmm. he was the ultimate criminal. Mm-hmm. He's he stole a bigger amount than anybody has ever stolen ever. What a f- <laughs> 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 so that's Bernie Madoff. I mean, it's I've been putting I've had this one prepared for a while, but I keep putting it off because I'm like, oh, explaining Ponzi schemes and it's so difficult. But I think mm. that kind of made sense. Yeah, completely. Yeah. yeah. I did not know 
that that was how he operated. I knew that he obviously was just mm. pulling in more and more and more money, but I didn't realise it was just sitting in one account mm. and that he was then just creating fraudulent statements but to you know send what? out to everyone. I mean, I'm not trying to cause a run on the bank here, but your bank could be doing that. I mean, you look at your statement every month. <laughs> what if you called the bank and said, can I see that cash, please? Can I see it all? I mean, I don't have a lot, so they'd be like, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, if you have a decent amount and you said, do you have that? Mm-hmm. Maybe it could be. You don't know. Do you mm-hmm. question your bank statements? Well, I do understand that money is really I don't even look at them because it stresses me out. There's just too much Uber Eats and Jimmy Brings. Oh, yeah, it's a real wake-up call anytime you look at it. <laughs> you don't want to yeah. look. <laughs> Too much ASOS and Ubers. And now that it tells you the majority of what you've spent oh, on no, each no. month categories, as well. Categories? Like, yeah. Oh, no, no, no do thanks. Not like, no do thanks, not Sir like. George. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you don't, people just, I think people took, the people who were smart enough to know let it continue because they were getting money off it mm-hmm. and the people who weren't smart enough to know just got their account statements that looked legit because there was a ragtag team on the 17th floor whose mm-hmm. whole job was to make them look legit. Mm-hmm. It was basically a stationary company. <laughs> 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 they could have had a very successful time making wedding invitations, you know? Like. Yeah. 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 Mm. What could have been? What could have been? Yeah. Um, Hopefully one day I'll have enough money to understand what it's like to be part of that world. Get caught up in your own Ponzi scheme. Yeah. Maybe oh, even isn't start that, one. Oh, isn't that the dream? <laughs> Until then, I'm week Staying to liquid. week. <laughs> <laughs> Praying I can pay my rent. Oh. Praying when toilet paper does finally hit the shelves again, I'll have money to buy it. <laughs> So anyway, that's Bernie Madoff. That's Bernie Madoff. Wow, cool. Thank you very much for that one. You're so welcome. The lesson Thanks, is, love. if it seems too good to be true, it probably, probably is. Probably is. Mm. All right. Bye. Warmest wishes. <laughs> Kindest regards. If today's episode caused any distress, you can always call Lifeline on 131114 or go to lifeline.org.au or Beyond Blue on 1300 224 636 or go to beyondblue.org.au. Listener.